Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. I'm Brian Bales. And I'm Jeremy Hodges. And we'd love to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Exodus chapters 30 and 31 today. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. Before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. If you search at Walking Through the Book, you'll easily find us there. You can also email us at walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com. Again, we're grateful for you being with us today. And uh, we have, of course, uh, everyone assembled together. And hopefully uh, hopefully, what we have to offer is useful for you in the course of these things. Um, uh, Jeremy, how are you doing today, man? Doing very well, sir. I appreciate uh, you asking. We're over here in the near the nation's capital and trying to trying to keep things calm. Uh, our uh, our governor is, I think, working really hard on trying to make sure that everyone stays safe. Um, I don't know when this will get published, but when it's uh, being recorded, we are all still diligently watching the news to kind of see what happens before we make any decisions about what we do uh, with the state. Right. And yeah, that is a good thing to note that this is in the middle of the uh, pandemic uh, of 2020 and uh, interesting way to start the 20s. But uh, I digress. so grateful for you being with us, Jeremy. What what's in uh, the the website for the church you work with is wildercroft.org, correct? Yeah, wildercroftcoc.org. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, the interestingly enough, um when you think about Wildercroft, it was named after the subdivision that was here or the section of housing that was existent here, which has not has really kind of gone away in a lot of ways. The mm-hmm thing that keeps the name around is really the church. And so we were named after a section of the town and they don't really call it that. And they only call it that now because of the church. So there are a couple places uh, that, that bear the name Wildercroft, but uh, the church is one of the, the biggest things in the area that still uses that name. So I would, I would assume that that church has been there for quite a while. And Oh my goodness. This, uh, they, they've been here since, before the thirties and at the thirties is when they started to do a lot of stuff in the, in the, um, in the neighborhood. Uh, then they built the building in the fifties or sixties. I think fifties is when they built the building here. And, uh, and they've tried to kind of uh, keep that building uh, up, but it, you can tell it's an older building. Uh, it, it feels very, it feels very fifties. <laughs> That's really cool, though. I, I love older buildings. 
Yeah, very, very cool. Kind of the same with the building where, where I'm at, too. Well, nice. you're, the, you're one of the few congregations in that area that, um, that would be associated with us. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, uh, the Garden City congregation in Savannah is, as far mm-hmm. as I've been able to tell, it's the only sound congregation that's in the in the area. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange. Well, I had a conversation <laughs> with somebody about that not too long ago, right after we met. I was just really shocked by that. And they, they, they reminded me that that your town is more of a college town. But I, mm-hmm. I said, but, but even with that, Savannah, Georgia, you would think that there would be more congregations yeah. uh, that be uh, associated with churches like ours in that area. And, and they yeah. said, no, you're the only one. Yeah, I mean it's it's a heavily populated area. So I mean I would I would be in the same boat. I would I would presume that, you know, there's got to be more than more than one. Um I mean there there's a there's a lot of congregations in the area, you know, that have the name, you know, quote unquote Church of Christ, but I I would not consider to be sound um for some pretty I think clear clear reasons. Hmm. Um so well, it's a growth opportunity for you, I guess. Right, right. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of churches, and and Savannah does have a lot of um, churches in general, even beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's kind of an interesting situation uh, because the the college, you know, it's a it's an arts college, and um, kind of creates a lot of diversity in the town. So there's a lot of you know there's a lot of atheistic beliefs and things like that as well. So it's just kind of an interesting interesting place, and I I actually really appreciate and really enjoy the diversity that that comes with all of that. Now the name the name of that school is is SCAD, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Savannah College of Art and Design. Yeah. So Bryant, uh, you, the website of the church you work with is strivingforthefaith.org, right? Yeah. So kind of an interesting yeah. name, uh, but we um, we at one point were uh, creating a new website because our old one was uh, I think it was like we couldn't edit it, um, and it was GardenCityChurchOfChrist.org, I think, which I think is still a domain name, domain name that will work. And we'll redirect you to our new website. But the, the new website name is strivingforthefaith.org. Well, Brian, do you want to go over the flow of the program today and can, just kind of let our listeners know what, what they're in for? Yeah. So we're going to be reading uh, Exodus 30 and 31. And uh, the way we've been handling our study is we've just been really reading through scripture uh, from the beginning of Genesis. And uh, just as the title of this podcast suggests, you know, we're simply walking through the book. Um, so every time we, we do a reading, we try to start with initial observations where we're just noticing things within the text itself that we read. Um, so after reading Exodus 30 and 31, we'll, you know, primarily at the beginning of our uh, conversation, just be pointing out things that seem like they're, they're significant in, in those chapters or things that we may not have noticed uh, as much as we noticed it from our reading. And then from there, we'll talk about themes. And um, that'll be things that we've we've noticed that relate to other parts of scripture. Um, so that might be related to uh, other concepts or principles or accounts in the Old Testament, or it may be things that we see fulfilled in Christ in the church. Uh, and we always try to end the program looking at some brief applications. Um, so we, we, we always want to try to think about how relevant these things are and, 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 and ways we can be um, maybe taking away something a little more immediate uh, from the reading. So we'll be, um, looking at Exodus 30 through 31 um, in that way today.
Exodus chapter 30. Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit, and its width a cubit. It shall be square, and its height shall be two cubits. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around, and its horns. And you shall make a gold molding all around for it. You shall make two gold rings for it under its molding. You shall make them on its two side walls, on opposite sides, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the Ark of the Testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the Ark of the Testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar, or burnt offering, or meal offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras. Half a shekel is a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered from twenty years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. The rich shall not pay more, and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel when you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. You shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing, and you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die. And it shall be a perpetual statute for them, for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take also for yourself the finest of spices, a flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, and a fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250, and fragrant cane, 250, and of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hin. You shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and the laver and that stand. You shall also consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them shall be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister as priests to me. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportions. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix any like it, or whoever puts any of it on a layman, shall be cut off from his people.
Then the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself spices, stacte, onica, galbanum, spices with pure frankincense, that there be an equal part of each. With it you shall make incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it, very fine, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you, it shall be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make it in the same proportions for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use perfume shall be cut off from his people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed I, have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the anointing oil, and sweet incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they will do. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. say one of the things that I mean always jumps out at me in this passage is God 
directly giving these artisans everything they need, not just in material, but in in skill, in wisdom, and understanding and knowledge. Again, I think we referred to this in the last episode, but you know, a slave people coming out of Egypt, I mean, you're typically any slave population, especially that's been under harsh slavery, they're not going to have the skills of an artisan. And, you know, just, it's interesting to me that that always, that part of the passage always jumps out at me. Um, What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like they would necessarily have experience with something like the tabernacle, you know, I mean, they were, you know, slaves in Egypt, you know, constructing things, you know, they talked about in, uh, in the period before they were delivered, you know, making brick and mortar and, and all of that. But yeah, I mean, it's at the same time, at the same time, they, they were a nation though. Right. And so they, they had their own society separate from the Egyptians that they weren't going to the Egyptian markets and doing things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you wanted to smell, not like armpit, you would need to know someone in your community who made things that smelled good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may not have had the most like luxurious things, but when you have your own society, certain people who can do certain things sort of pop up over time. Mm-hmm. I agree they were a slave nation. Absolutely. But they still, you know, functioned as life. Right. Right. You would have had to have known like Bob, the perfumer, because, you know, you would need to not smell like the death. They didn't take, they didn't shower like we do. Right. Yeah. Perfume is a kind of a big deal. It's like olive oil, oil in their hair and oil on their skin was kind of a big deal. Uh, they got, they got terribly ashy. They would need like some things to make their skin not terrible. Mm, mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, th- I think it's funny that it presumes that they knew what a perfumer was. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from our perspective, you know, the, the oil and incense and things like that, they seem somewhat unnecessary for us, or it may seem like, yeah, I don't want oil all over my beard, you know, something like that, you know, cause I, I'm just thinking about one of the Psalms mentions, yeah. you know, the, oil coming down the beard Mm. and uh, it sounds disgusting to me but then at the same time you think about it's like well again from their perspective that actually was a benefit in multiple ways and technically is still a benefit today but i mean and from this context society where it's very easy to shower so (laughs) and not only that but in in this particular context that the oil running down aaron's beard would probably be this holy oil that wasn't supposed to be used for anything right 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 and so you also had the idea of it being consecrated and holy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Really struck by 11 through 16. Um, I think it's interesting that the, the, the money here is mentioned in like really interesting terms, you know, that the, the money that's being taken up and they number the people, um, the new American standard says that it's given as a, as a ransom, uh, that there not be any plague among them. Uh, when you number them. And then um, in verse 15 and 16, it's emphasized that this is something related to making atonement for themselves as well. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's pretty interesting. And that just kind of 
really sticks out to me in the midst of everything everything here. Because with atonement, I always kind of imagine that specifically with, you know, the blood sacrifices. So it just it's just kind of interesting to me that it's here atonement is used in relation to this um, contribution that would be taken from the people and they would be numbered. Yeah. Now, the interesting interesting thing about that is it doesn't seem to be an ongoing thing. Mm, I mean, mm-hmm. is that is that what you get from it too? Yeah, because it kind of seems like in verse 12, this is something that happens uh, at a specific time, like when the people are numbered. You know, and, yeah. I mean, throughout the history of Israel, you know, I mean, not to get too much into anything theme related uh, with this, but I know that when David, for instance, numbered the people in second Samuel, uh, you know, he was not, he was not instructed by God specifically to do that. So a plague did break out among the people. Um, so it just kind of seems like numbering the people was a very special, uh, God directed thing that they weren't just supposed to do at any time. Well, and I guess what this is establishing too, is sort of a treasury for the tabernacle Mm. to operate from. Right. Yeah. And I guess what they, so this comes down to for their needs at the time is, you know, they're going to be going places. They're going to be wandering. <clears throat> I don't know what their possibilities are for trade with other peoples and things like that. But I mean, certainly some sort of currency would be helpful mm. in order to, you know, make those trades possible if they need to buy some bulls or, you know, goats or whatever. Right. I, uh, yeah, Jeremy may have more to say about that. Yeah, right. So, Jeremy, we were we were talking about uh, the atonement money that's talked about in verse eleven yes. through sixteen. Yes, um, just kind of pointing out how interesting that is that it's mentioning that the money that would be taken from Israel and they would be numbered was referenced as a ransom and uh, related to atonement as well. Absolutely. Uh, secondarily, you know that this is the uh the money that they're trying to hit up Jesus and Peter for when he goes and pulls it out of the fish's mouth mm-hmm. what happens is they stop it for a while and then it ends up coming back when they are rebuilding the temple mm-hmm. after Babylonian captivity and it stays around that is they don't stop collecting it and so they st- it becomes a, sort of a fundraising thing mm-hmm. And when Jesus, there's two reasons that Jesus was exempt from it. One, it was supposed to be a temporary situation because they, they stopped the, the collection after a certain time, after they get the, the, it built, the tabernacle. But they don't stop after it's the temple, hmm. when, it's the second, or when it's the second temple. Hmm. Uh, and so when Jesus pays it, he is doubly not responsible for it. One, they shouldn't have just kept collecting a tax for no good reason. Secondly, he makes up he makes the point. He says, "You don't collect a poll tax from citizens; you do it from other people." Mm. So I just think I think it's kind of funny that that be, that that becomes a thing later on. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Nevertheless, for their sake, he does that. Yeah, absolutely. That's literally what he's saying. That's absolutely what he says. He says, look, I'm just not going to be offensive on this. Mm. And it really tells us a lot about who Jesus is. He Mm. says, I'm not responsible for this, but Mm. I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Just to make it so that they don't flip out. I I don't know. He does so many things. 
don't know. I mean, is that, uh, again, uh, not to trail too far off, but is that Jesus applying Romans 14? In a lot of ways, absolutely it is. Yeah, Actually, well, or, so or the other way around, but Romans 14 follows in the same vein. Right. Right. Um, okay. Romans 13 and 14 together are, oh in, are interesting because both of them are about bearing up under things that, you know, are kind of irritating. One is governmental rule. And the other one is dealing with people who don't understand as much as we do, or they're weaker in the faith or things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus demonstrates the right way to handle both of those. Not only does he do things that he's not responsible for, because there are people who are ignorant asking him or pressuring him to do it. But secondarily, uh, he also straight up talks about paying taxes to Caesar. So it's fascinating to me how much you know, people want to say that Paul wrote a whole bunch of things that Jesus didn't say <laughs> so much of it's connected back to the things that he did. I think that yeah, people really right, definitely. aren't really looking at what Jesus did and said right, when they right. say ignorant things like that. Yeah. As is so often the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back to what we're discussing here too um you know these are these are essential principles that that the people of israel are going to be carrying forward with them Mm -hmm. you know i I do want to talk about you know unless we have specific things concerning the incense and everything i do want to talk about the fact that he's saying these things are going to be forever right at least the sabbath is going to be forever right right but uh but if there's, is there something else y'all want to discuss before we get into that? Uh, a, a few things. Um, yeah, sure. I want to talk about the idea of how many things associated with God were going to be a, a full sensory overload. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The sounds we talked about on the bells on Aaron, on Aaron's garments, mm-hmm. the, the sights, with all the gold, the blue, we talked about how loud the sights were, the visuals, the gold, the blue and the purple and the red and how, what a, what a sensory overload that would have been. So you've got sounds, you've got sights. Uh, later on, you're going to have, well, when you get to the temple, you're going to have instruments and things like that. Uh, you, it doesn't look like we have a full instruments until, um, until David. Mm-hmm. I think you, you got horns for calling attention, but you don't have like instrumental worship until David. But in this, you also have a very loud smell. Now, at, at first, it might seem interesting. It's like, why in the world would he 
have this really loud smell associated with all of his things. Not only loud smell, but a smell that isn't associated with anything else at all, ever, ever, ever. And then you go, oh, wait. People are bringing, like, armfuls of livestock. Everyone's bringing their livestock. Have you ever been to, like, a rodeo or a livestock show? Mm. That is yeah, a very... I've been, cattle. I've been to a cattle meet. Okay. That is a very peculiar smell. Yep. And if you want to uh, make that special and not just smell like, oh, this is the place where we have all of the cows, you know, if you want to make that special in some way, you have to find a way to make it so that it doesn't smell like that mm. or sound like that or, or, or look like that. You're going to have to find a way to, to change things up. Mm. And so all of these things are not only supposed to be, you know, dedicated to God and God alone. But secondarily, this is also going to help them be in a holy space mm. because of all of the all of the things associated with what's going on could be a distraction. Mm. Well, and I don't know what Stockte and Anika and Galbanum are necessarily, but I do know about frankincense. My, you, you know, y'all know my wife does the whole uh, essential oils thing, and I'll say. So, uh, th- there was one point I-, I stubbed my toe one night and it hurt like crazy. And Sharon is always saying like, well, put this oil on it, put this on it, you know? Mm. And, uh, I kind of joked her about that, but you know what? I, uh, dropped some frankincense on the tip of that toe. And, uh, the next morning there was no soreness whatsoever. There was no mm. pain. It was as if it had never happened. Interesting. And so there's neat stuff there, Yeah, but I will say this too, after I got a shower the next day, I still could smell the frankincense from the toe. Right. Right. Which is like, so, so I guess what that tells me is this is a very permeating uh, smell. Um, I would assume the same thing with the others. The the term is sweet spices. So you're going to have a particular smell about it. I think of, you know, I, maybe this is wrong, but like, I think of countries like, you know, India and things like that and, you know, using the sweet spices and things like that. But maybe I'm, maybe I, I'm ignorant about that, but, um, I think the permeating quality of it would have, would have been something that, that would be helpful yeah. in that situation. And not only, not only is it supposed to be something that would have a function, it was supposed to be something that would only smell like that thing. Right. Yeah. You're not allowed to have anything else smell like the experience with coming near God. Right. Yep. Yep. You can't make an, an anointing oil that would be like that. Not allowed. You can't make, uh, you can't make incense that smells like that. No, it is only associated with God. Yeah. Yep. But I, I'm very sure that in Israel, there are places where you can find, you know, holy anointing oil, according to Exodus 30. You can just straight up buy. I'm sure. Well, they yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I know some places where you can probably buy like splinters of the cross too. That doesn't mean it's necessarily right. the right thing. Oh, no, 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 no. I get that. I'm with you. But I'm just saying like, you know, the whole thing, you shall not make any of it for yourselves according to his composition. Um, But yeah, no, I, and, and, and God is, again, God is guiding them all along the way with all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think helping them to really recognize when they're near his presence in a holy way, you know, 
And, and like you were saying, uh, Jeremy, you know, really having a sensory overload. In the Old Testament, I've noticed a lot of times God isn't just telling people about the covenant, but God in so many ways has his people experience the realities of his covenant. Um, like even so back with Abraham in Genesis, when uh, he takes the animals, cuts them in half and lays them out, you know, then it gets dark and it's nighttime and God appears, you know, in fire and smoke and passes between the parts. You know, I mean, that was that was related to God telling Abraham that his descendants would eventually come out of a foreign nation in Egypt. Um, and it's like, well, why have why have Abraham do all of these you know, weird things. And why not just tell them the facts straight away without all the theatrics? Well, God, God, I think was helping the people understand things, helping Abraham understand things about the realities of his covenant through those experiences. And I think it's, it's a similar, similar situation here where, you know, God having the people learn through these baby steps is trying to teach in very physical, very tangible ways uh, realities of his nature, realities of the relationship with him through these experiences. I think you're right to call them baby steps, though, because they are so physical and yes. so temporary. Right. They they deal with the physical parts of life. Right. I'm worried about you know other religious cultures that have tried to go back to the heavy physical mm-hmm. influence. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You you could think about congregations. Uh, uh, of our friends who are Catholic groups and they maintain an incense kind of situation where um, I don't, I don't know if you've been a part of any of the situation uh, or any of the religious observances where they have incense. Uh, I think the Eastern Orthodox also have a, uh, a lot of incense associated with their services. And then you move into, you know, places that are, you know, other modern worship experiences that are heavily sensual, when you realize that this was all very like temporary and physical, yeah, you go, I don't know that we're supposed to be so heavily focused on physical things. Right. And you look at all the places in the New Testament where um, sweet smelling aroma shows up, where you talk about the idea of the, the aroma of those who are conquered. Right. Right. You know, from life to life and to death to death in, in Corinthians. And it's always a spiritual application. Yeah. There's just no one-to-one in the New Testament for all of these heavy physical things. Right. I think it's when we're talking to our, you know, talking to other people about trying to go to the law for their authority to do physical things, You, you, there's two parts of that. A, yes, there's a separation between the covenants, and that's part of it. But the old covenant was very temporary on purpose. And Mm -hmm. all of those physical things were not meant to be the long term. And if you look at all of the physical things that were part of the old covenant, they're just not a part of the new. And there's really not a place for them because there's a spiritual application. Right. Yeah. and And I think throughout the reading here, you know, you just see so much reverence that's meant to be within all of these things that's absent from a lot of those modern applications that you were referring to. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because I wrote down some of the places where that seriousness is emphasized. You have uh, chapter 30, you know, verse uh, 21, where if they don't wash in the labor, they're going to die. Yeah. Um, verse 33, where, you know, if they mix anything like the 
oil, you know, they're going to be cut off. And the same with the incense as well. In okay, cut off from their people as probably best seen as a euphemism for dead. Right, yeah. Like totally separated, yeah. But permanently, the yep. long dirt nap. Yep, yep. Because you see that in chapter 31 with the Sabbath as well, you know. Correct. Uh, you know, in verse... 15, uh, well, 14 and 15, um, he says, anyone who does work shall be cut off. First 15, anyone who does any work is going to die. That's right. You, you see that in chapter 31, you know, and with, with the oil as well, I think it's such a good lesson in authority, you know, because in the instructions he gives, you know, they're to give, uh, well, they're the, they're to put, for instance, 500 shekels of <clears throat> myrrh and, uh, 250 shekels of cinnamon um, even if they like cinnamon more than myrrh or think that's too much myrrh, it doesn't matter. You know, right. with the reverence they have, they should, they should only put in exactly what God specified, you know? So I think there's lessons in here about when God is specific, you follow that specification exactly when he's, when he's general, you know, there's, there's liberty. Um, and, and you see that in this, in this instance as well. Another thing that's a part of that is the idea of mixing the personal with the reverence for the divine. Mm. And I like that smell. You know what? I think I'm going to wear that smell all day long. No, you're not going to actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's death. That's a part of doing that. Right. And I think of some of the separation between the things that were done that were supposed to be dedicated, like the Lord's supper. And then they decided that they were going to turn it into a very common meal. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's no, really no, actually, good. or uncommon if you want to be, you know, talk about the <laughs> meaning of the word. As in, they were not sharing; they were using it incorrectly. It was supposed to be something dedicated to remembering our Lord and Savior, right? But they were doing it because they wanted to fill their bellies. Exactly. Yeah. Very specific, God ordained purpose that needed right. to be kept. Yep. We, you know, we're talking about these physical aspects of things, and I guess, I mean, the Sabbath goes into that for sure. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing that's said about the Sabbath in verse 17 of chapter 31, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. I've, I've talked to and I've, I've heard Seventh Adventists make this claim that uh, this is, you know, this is perpetual because <laughs> the point that he makes there is that. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. That that Sabbath principle predates the law. Um, I, you know, it, it's, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, bash religions here. I'm just saying that I think, you know, in, in this discussion, we need to kind of look at that because it is, it is dealt with a little bit differently than the other things. I mean, we don't have that statement of, this is going to be between me and you forever. Well, uh, to Israel, it would be. <laughs> right. That's, that's what I would say as well. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about things predating the law, I'm not trying to be a, a, a jerk. When we talk to our friends and neighbors, uh, but if they're going to say because it predates the law, that means it's forever. Well, Noah was sacrificing clean, clean animals. Uh, how many animals mm-hmm. do you sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. you don't. So some things you think need to be kept and other things you don't. Right. Right. I mean, d- just be consistent. And I, again, I'm, I, I'm not trying to be mean to our friends when we talk about that stuff, but consistency has to be a part of someone's argument. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, when we get to Jesus, you know, we always see the, the purest application of what was originally intended from the beginning. Sure. You know, Abraham had multiple wives, for instance. Jesus advocated one woman and one man for life. Um, you know, and, and then when Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, so Jesus, when when we see Jesus and when we see the the church, you know, we're seeing the, the fulfillment of the original intention of the Sabbath. Sure. Ultimately having a rest in God that's greater than just a Saturday where you're, you're not working. Um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, when you see Jesus living on the Sabbath, I think that exposes the difficulty that, you know, just mankind has in general with understanding God's intention for things and the applications that are meant to be made in those things, because, you know, it was presumed oftentimes that Jesus was violating the Sabbath uh, by people who really didn't understand the proper application of God's will in the law. Right. He wasn't violating the Sabbath at all. Right. Um, so what the Sabbath really was meant to be is something that I think, you know, was heavily misunderstood. And, and when, for instance, as we talked about Seventh-day Adventists advocate continuing to keep the Sabbath, you know, I think it's like Paul telling Timothy, there's people who make confident assertions about the law, but have no idea about what it is they're actually talking about. Well, that's part of the problem I've had in my discussions with Seventh Avenue because it's like, what do you do as a Christian on that day? Because, I mean, you know, we're not going to the synagogue. I mean, you know, the Christians met on the first day of the week. And so, I, I don't know. There's, well, there's, and, a lot, and there's a lot we could get into there. And but. you can't pick and choose. I mean, when, when, right. when they advocate keeping the Sabbath, a part of keeping the Sabbath is the death penalty. You know, yeah. you're, you're, advocating, right. you're advocating something that's really not even originally intended if you're just going to advocate meeting together and not doing physical work. I mean, you, you've got to take the whole thing together. So then you, you've got to take it to the point where if somebody does work, well, that's the death penalty. And if you're not willing to take it that far, then you're not actually keeping the Sabbath as it's written in the law then. Well, then you get into some of the some of the ultra orthodox groups who believe that, you know, that stoning was the offense for doing certain things. And so if they see someone who's dressed inappropriately or scandalously, or if they know that they've been divorced, they quote unquote stone them by throwing little tiny rocks at them. <laughs> oh man. So I mean, yeah, if you want to if you want to go that route, there are people who who take it to a ridiculous place. In regard to the Sabbath, of course, I, I think it, it, it needs to be noted that the temporary nature of the physical Sabbath and the eternal nature of our future rest is not only made very evident by the Hebrew writer, yeah. but I believe it was made evident in what Jesus did because they were worshiping God on the last day of the week and doing no work, no work at all. When Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, it was the first day of the work week. Mm. And it is, is interesting to me that their um, focus on coming together and spending time with God had no work associated with it. Jesus chose to remain in the grave the entirety of the Sabbath. And it was the first day of the work week in which he rose, which when you think about it was the first day that God got to work mm. when he would create the universe. Mm -hmm. I think people sometimes forget that God created the, began creation on the first day of the week. Oh.
maintaining holiness as people who are dedicated to God and having us be associated with the things of God is a necessity. Yeah, amen. I know that we think that it's better for us to keep our head down and blend in with the world. But here we can see that the priests and the things of God smell different. And I think that we need to understand that we need to smell different. Now, I'm not, not literally, obviously, but being around those of us who follow the Lord. Yeah. We've got to be able to say this is a different experience. Right. This is specific. I don't get that around anyone else. Yep. Yeah. And what, what a great thing for us to consider, like how loud are we being in our spirituality and, uh, in our, in our religion. And I don't mean religion in terms of, you know, necessarily physical things. Um, you know, you mentioned how churches, uh, will embrace the physical. I kind of see the same things with what you might call mega churches. Um, and you, you, you see it everywhere. I mean, I was, I was loading up a kid's playlist, you know, of music for, you know, my son to listen to the other day. And it, it turned out it had some live worship songs. It sounded like a rock concert, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, you know, it's sort of amazing what you have to avoid with those things. But it's like, you know, to think that that's what some people think is worship. Uh, but, but I mean, I think really what that is, is it's, you know, maybe they're even looking at passages like this and saying, well, we have to be loud like they were loud and colorful and uh we've got to look different but in reality they just end up looking like the world they just end up looking the same yeah well not only that but then you also have all the people who want to take the things of the world and bring them into the church right, right. yeah which goes directly against all the principles we read here absolutely you're Amen. not supposed yeah. to be like everything else you're not yep. supposed to yep. copy yep. Yep. other stuff and you're not supposed to take this and make it everywhere else yeah to to that point i mean people who will claim well, all of life is worship. Um, and, and, and I, and I agree with that thought. We should have a worshipful life. And in fact, I think, you know, one of the points that has been made, one of the points that I've been trying to make to people in the midst of all the things that are going on at the time of this recording is that, you know, when you think about it, the majority of the things that happen in the assembly among Christians um, are not limited to the assembly. Uh, you can you can preach and study anywhere. You can sing to God anywhere. I think there are just a few things that, again, this is just my personal thought here, but uh, I do believe the Lord's Supper is directly tied to the assembly. Yeah, I don't think you can take that and and you know extract it into a smaller setting. Mm. I don't believe you can pull that apart and have it in a virtual setting. Um. Uh, so, uh, you know, just you can't do it and have it make sense with the text is the point I'm making. And so when, when, when people say, you know, all of life is worship and, and they're saying that in order to incorporate something unauthorized into the worship, that's, you know, that's where the problem lies. It's like, yeah. okay, no, sure. Every, all of life is worship, but in that sense, that doesn't mean that you know, I can take something from life and put it into worship. Right. There's a way in which that's true. And there's a way that that's just really not true. Yes. Right. And I think like that really hits on something very important where 
we are always very prone to justify ourselves um, in a way that makes something sound good that's really displeasing to God, you know, and, and using terms that sound godly. I think there's almost something in the text here that is kind of like a a deliberate stumbling block in a sense, you know. Um, for instance, Jesus came from Nazareth and the Galilean region, you know, and when people would see Jesus, they would say, well, I mean, this is Joseph's son, the carpenter's son, and his sisters and his brothers are right here among us. You know, and, and these are all relatable things in the text, you know, the the oil and, and the, the incense and, I mean, washing with water, you know. So, you know, they could easily, I think, have the thought, well, oh, I mean, oil, you know, well, we're used to oil. So like Jeremy was saying, you'd say, well, that's not a big deal. We should make this oil for ourselves then and, and put this in our houses. But just because it was something that they were used to and could relate to, didn't mean that they then were supposed to treat it as something that was common. This was still something, even though there were relatable aspects to it, it was still set apart. And so, you know, like what you're saying, Stephen, just because, you know, everything in our lives should be given to God for praise does not mean that there are not things that are still very distinct in their context of command. You know, and like you're mentioning Lord's Supper or anything else, you know, when God specifies something, that's that's the end of it. And, and it's dangerous to use God's language to justify things that God has not given us authority to justify. Um, there's always, I think, a push to decrease our sense of reverence for what God says in ways that require humble reverence submission to doing something very specific. Um, so I think in here, the, the, the oil... Um, the incense, uh, the, the craftsmen, the Sabbath, all of these things, there were, there were very specific applications that would require the people just having a very reverent mind about, you know, de- decreasing reverence and decreasing holiness is something we can actually see. That's part of Korah's argument. Mm, Aaron, you right, do too right, much. Right, 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 right. The whole congregation yeah. are holy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, kind of. And you know, right, right. And I know yeah. that you're using God's language, but you're using it incorrectly. Exactly. Yeah, that's he such a good mean, point. He didn't mean that Aaron's not holy when he said that. He didn't make. He didn't say that Aaron is set apart from the rest of the people when he said that. And so Korah absolutely falls into that same trap. Yes. Of trying right. to say, you know, you're special, not really, because we're all special. That's right. Um, one other thing I think it's interesting with with all of these very very strong statements that he made about the incense. We still have Aaron's sons, not Ab and Abihu, engage in the mm. actions that they mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. that bring about God's immediate wrath. Because it is during the mixing of fire and incense in which they err. Now, we don't know the entirety of what they did. It just says it was strange. We just know that it was, it was unapproved. But if you read the if you read the statements, if you read how straightforward God is about all of yeah, these things, right? No wonder Moses tells Aaron, "Eh, it's like you said." I mean, it sounds cold at first, but Moses is right, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Eh, he 
you know, he told you. I mean, <laughs> uh, wow. Anyway, so it's always no. struck me that, that that statement feels like very strong. Absolutely. Yeah. But when you I mean, read the original language, the original language is strong. Yeah. Because I, I think like the heart that presumes anything with God, the, the severity of the misunderstanding of God's holiness is is enormous. You know, it, it's a complete failure to respect how distinct God is. You know, to respect that God is set apart and that he isn't just a, a different person than I am with a different personality. He is he is El Shaddai. He's God mm-hmm. Almighty. He he exists in heaven. He's the creator of everything. And so for the seed of heart to lead me to presume that God is willing to accept something that's really just originating from my own mind, it is a catastrophic failure to Absolutely. respect the distinctiveness of God. And especially in, in our time when there are so many examples of God making it such a clear point that he is not a man, but he is a holy God. For us to today ignore all of the clear lessons of God's holiness, the catastrophic nature of the failure is even greater. Absolutely. I want to make the point as well that, you know, the God giving these craftsmen everything they need to do what needs to be done. Um, you know, the interesting thing about that to me is today in the Lord's church in, uh, in the kingdom, there's nothing that we do physically, I believe that demands what I would call artistry. Um, all that we do together as Christians, uh, just simply requires that, that we fulfill the command. Um, but at the same time, there is a sense in the New Testament of seeking to become more, mm-hmm. seeking to become mm-hmm. better, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, at everything you're doing. Um, I, I believe by the way that, that, you know, when you have a congregation, you don't literally have to have every man lead singing who feels comfortable leading singing. Uh, you know, same thing with preaching in the pulpit, same thing with Bible reading, same thing with prayer. Um, I think there's a place for brethren to realize where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. Uh, I'm not saying give up on doing certain things. I'm just saying, you know, the, the, the model that we have in the new Testament church is not every man gets his turn to get up and do a thing. It's, it's you do the best that you can with what you have and examine yourself and understand where that is. And you continue to strive to, to get better. Um, and maybe that's the same thing, but I, it, it, it seems distinct to me. I would, I would be really cautious about using some of the, the excellence language and then applying that to talent because right. in, in a lot of, uh, when you talked about mega churches, when they say excellence, what they mean is talent. Right. When they say we need to bring God the very best. And so that means that not everyone is on the band. <laughs> no, come think about that. No, no, I get you. I get you. No, I, I, now, 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 yeah. now move that to song leading. Mm-hmm. We need to bring God the best. That means that not everybody probably needs to song lead. Well, and that, I'm not saying you forbid anybody. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, you know, there are situations where, you know, obviously 
when we have the singing to a point where it's more, uh, well, I'm not really sure how to express this. When we have our worship in such a place where it's, I mean, I think there are some ways that you can understand that things are objectively better. Uh, when you pitch a song correctly, it's going to sound better than if someone doesn't pitch it at all, usually, unless they have perfect pitch, which that's, you know. But anyway, so I'm not I, making no, no, it necessarily no. for that. My main point in what I'm saying right here is that everyone that needs I to believe do their that best. God can, yeah, well, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that that's, God that's where I can, agree with you, can help us in those ways. Sure. Um, that, that, you know, God gives us everything we need to be successful in his kingdom. And I, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, you know, we need song leaders that are, you know, leading the songs precisely as they are in the book with perfect, you know, pitch and timing and things like that. Uh, I guess, you know, just what I'm saying generally is that everybody puts their best effort. And then, and then again, I do think that there's a sense where, you know, if a brother realizes, Hey, I'm not very good at teaching Bible classes, then maybe he shouldn't be teaching Bible classes right now. Maybe he needs to work on that. Okay. And and that's where I think that you and I are probably going to agree the very most is that everyone is in a state of trying to get better at the things that they're mm-hmm. accomplishing for right. the Lord. Not that we exclude some people from doing it because of natural talent, but bringing our best is an individual thing. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Bringing, yeah. Bringing that's, our, that's what I'm saying is, sure. is that this is individually motivated from a standpoint. I don't believe that, that, you know, I mean, it's within the purview of an elders of a congregation, but if you Absolutely. don't have elders, I don't think there's any place where the brethren, you know, really ought to say, well, Hey, you, you don't need to be leading singing. You're not very good at it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately you know? I've heard a lot of talk that sounds similar to that, which is mm-hmm. why, which yeah. is why I said what I did about that. Um, sure. not too long ago, um, there was a, a book published that seemed to indicate and I heard some I heard some comments from people who were involved in it that were a little bit distressing. They said, you know, I, I think my favorite comment was that uh, you know uh, s- Sunday is not like open mic night. You don't let just anybody talk on Sunday, or Sunday is when we have visitors. You don't let just anyone lead singing on Sundays. Mm. And I went, ah, is that really where you want to go with this? do you really want to follow this all the way to where it goes? Because there's a place that this goes. If you think about what you're saying on this one, that we only let some people do things on certain days, this ends up in a place and you need to think about where that goes. Anyway, I know you didn't mean it like that. Um, and that's why I, that's why I said what I did, because I think we just have to be careful because you're right from an individual standpoint, we do need right. to about our best. Yes. Right, and I right, can't just right. half do a thing. Um, I can't be sitting down on the front pew, flipping through the pages of, of a songbook, And I, I hadn't thought for 10 seconds about what we were going to sing that day. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are times when you kind of get wrapped up in that, you know, someone doesn't make it. Oh, I need to lead singing. Okay. Sure. But you know, that should not be the norm. Correct. And, and, you know, I mean, there are things that, I mean, there are things that I'm not very good at. I'll, I'll just be flat out with, (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm not very good at the, at the, you know, five minute Wednesday night invitation. I mean, I think I get lucky sometimes, but, (laughs) but, but I mean, 
generally I'm not very good at keeping it down to that point and, and making sure that point gets across properly. Um, and so I'm not good at that it, now. You know, I still do it, but at the same time, it's like if it came down to it and I was in a congregation where you had plenty of guys that were willing to do it and they were doing it, then, you know, and, and if, if me being a part of that created a problem, then I would need to step back, you know, uh, I don't see how it could, but I mean, I'm just saying that for, for examples purposes, you know, but if we're talking about, you know, song leading, uh, I used to, okay. Kind of a personal story here. Um, I was told when I was young that I was tone deaf. Uh, what we did not have a, a home that encouraged singing. Uh, I think my my favorite phrase growing up about this is I'd be singing a song, and uh, my dad would go, "Hey, who sings that song?" And I would say, "Well, the Beach Boys." And he's like, "Yeah, we'll keep it that way." <laughs> and so we didn't <laughs> sing in the home. Um, and so. I was told that I was tone deaf. My dad told everyone he was tone deaf. My mom told me that, that I was tone deaf like my dad. Uh, when I got to be involved in a church where people actually had a mentality of everyone working to get better, I was kind of pushed in a corner on this. An evangelist, uh, I told him, I saw, I'm kind of tone deaf. And he said, Jeremy, can you, can you tell that I'm upset with you by my tone? Mm. And I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, well, then you're not tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's good. <laughs> he said, you might be unpracticed, but you're not tone deaf. So don't give yourself an excuse not to get better. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, Bryant and I, I think we've talked about this, Bryant. I believe that anybody in the world can draw. Uh, yes. You know, some, some people seem to think that like, you know, you, you need to have this innate talent to be able to do these things. But the reality is that, you know, yeah, maybe you have a leg up in certain ways. I mean, I took, uh, uh, you know, I was in band in high school and I was in choir in college. I took music theory while I was in college. So I know my way around the music probably better than some, but that doesn't make me like automatically qualified. And it goes back to, you know, I wasn't born being able to do that, you know? So, you know, I, I, I think there is a possibility of being, and, and, and again, I'm not saying that as a badge of honor or anything like that. I didn't study those things uh, at the time, to become this, you know, awesome song leader or whatever. It, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, wanting to get better. Right. And I think everybody has that ability, that yeah. possibility to do that. So, and so I think, I think, I think the other thing that, that is sort of the, the pendulum swing on the other end of that is though, that I think sometimes we have brethren that think, well, it, it can't be very good. Otherwise it's not genuine. Right. Yeah. Now that, and I, I, yeah, that's, I a, think that's, that's just absurd. It is absurd. I mean, cause we wouldn't say that about the preaching, right? You wouldn't say yeah. that about anything else. So, and, and I, uh, I've, I've run across this. We, we had singing classes at some of our congregations and I knew of some other places where they said, well, we're not going to do that because it's not about the way it sounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what that is, is an excuse not to get better. <laughs> right. I think, Really, something that summarizes a lot of this is Matthew 7, verse 1, where Jesus says, you know, do not judge that you will not be judged. Um, I think that the lengths of that command are really easy to overlook. You know, sure. The way that that's commonly talked about is, is in a passive way, where that just means that I'm not being overly condemning or critical of others. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like Exodus, when God even speaks positively in his judgment about something, then that's it. 
And if he tells these men in Exodus chapter 30 that they need to use the soil for this purpose, that's not passive. That there is an active judgment that God has made that requires activity. Sure. Um, like you were saying, Jeremy, I, I think it's easy, you know, to almost unknowingly use terms that may sound good. But if I'm recognizing what God's judgment is, then the phraseology that may sound good begins to fall apart. Right. And so just a matter of, well, what has God actually said, you know, um, and, and where is God's emphasis of importance, for instance? And if, if we'll allow God to be in the seat of authority, then we as a church locally, when we're operating locally, we are trying to put our emphasis exactly where God of the word has put his emphasis. We're trying to use the statements that God has used in his word. And it's, it all comes back to reverence where I don't want my judgment to be the authority. I don't want my cute phrases or religious phrases to have authority. I don't want to create new phrases for people to pass around or repeat because they'll probably be wrong. We, we want to emphasize what has God actually said about everything and how do we develop leadership that respects and adheres to what God has actually said in his word. Amen. That's where we begin to have holiness in, in our congregations. Amen. Well, we are grateful for you listening today. Uh, whether you're traveling somewhere or just listening at home, uh, we're grateful for your time. Um, again, check out uh, the contacts that we shared at the beginning of the uh, program. Thank you, Jeremy, for being a part of this. And thank you, Bryant, as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate all your work you put into this. Yeah. Yep. Well, appreciate you guys uh, in, in, in your time and your dedication, your focus. Next time, Lord willing, we'll be getting to Exodus 32. Until that time, study well and be lights to God's glory.
The music used in this program is graciously provided by Symphonia. Symphonia is a nonprofit foundation whose purpose is to compose, publish, and promote hymns for congregational worship. Find out more at symphonia.com.